Well, if I had to guess, Greg, you know, it, yeah. w- when I left work this morning, I thought, ugh, kind of gloomy out here. But I bet you, you've got an extra spring in your step today based on what you witnessed last night. I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, really? No, no. Couldn't be the, uh, the ice hockey? Oh, the Winnipeg Jets in the playoffs for the first time since 2015. What an exciting game downtown last night. Uh, The Jets rallied back from a two-goal deficit. They had four shots in the first period. And you and I were at the game Friday night when the Jets were all over the Anaheim Ducks. It was domination for 60 minutes. Well, the first period last night felt like the game on Friday night, except the guys in the home blues uh, were the ones being dominated. They managed, like I said, four shots in the first period and then and then proceeded to get 44 shots in periods two and three combined <laughs> and uh, looked like the better team for a majority of the second and third period. They had to go to a shootout. Very exciting night. The Jets uh, clinching a playoff spot. So, yes, Jets Nation is celebrating this morning. Yeah, that's very exciting. And they're, what, fourth overall in the league? Sure. I can check. I haven't even checked the standings this morning. All that matters is uh, um, my credit card is going to be getting charged an awful lot of money <laughs> starting <laughs> oh, next no. Monday <laughs> for playoff tickets. So uh, uh, I'm only paying a round at a time, fortunately. But I'll be happy to pay full freight if the Jets manage to play into June. I think there are a lot of people who are preparing to uh, divert some of their discretionary income, shall we say, <laughs> over the next uh, nine to ten weeks. So it uh, could be extremely Extremely exciting. It was a crazy, awesome weekend uh, in the city of Winnipeg for sports. CFL week, of course, wrapped up yesterday. Thousands of people heading down to RBC Convention Center to check out FanFest and Jennifer Jones and her rank featuring Jill Officer, Caitlin Laws, Don McEwen, World Curling Champions, And uh, Jill Officer will join us in about an hour's time from North Bay, Ontario. Her last match with Team Jennifer Jones, 14-0 at the World Champions uh, Championship. It's their second World Championship as a team. Very, very exciting. Someone had a sign in the crowd that was directed at Jill Officer. And it was was quoting Dr. Seuss. But I, I thought, well, that's actually rather fitting. And I, I, I believe the quote was, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. That's right. And uh, Jill Officer, obviously a variety of emotions for her. We'll run through those with her when she joins us just after 7 o'clock. Oh, and to open up the hockey game last night, the Jets brought out the University of Manitoba Bison's women's hockey team, the national oh, champions. Nice. So here we are on consecutive Mondays celebrating last Monday a national championship for the Manitoba Bison women's hockey team. And this morning we will celebrate a world women's curling championship here on Mackling McGarry on a Monday morning. Richard Cloutier over the weekend. You read my mind. I was just about to go there. Did the Q&A, got to introduce and have a Q&A with John Cleese. Could you imagine? How fabulous. I was trying to, in my mind, correlate, because I know what a huge fan Richard is of Monty Python, and uh, Monty Python coming to Netflix, the entire catalog. I don't know. I, I, and as I say it out loud, wow. in the United States for sure, uh, I'm hoping it's in Canada. I was trying to look it up the other night when when I heard about it at first. So I, uh, as I say it out loud, I'm hoping you can uh, confirm whether or not that's coming to Netflix Canada. Uh, I was trying to correlate uh, for myself who I would want to be on stage with 
the way Richard uh, seemed to be absolutely thrilled about being on stage with John Cleese. And I, I came with, up with uh, either Timu Solani, Dave Grohl, <laughs> or Dieter Brock. So <laughs> really, yes, Peter Brock. Oh yeah, I mean I've interviewed him uh, on the air over the years, but uh, it would be something else to sit down and recap his career, the ups and downs of his time here as a Winnipeg Blue Bomber. Uh, that's to me, that's when I became a Winnipeg Blue Bomber fan and learned to uh, bleed blue and gold. So it would be a thrill to sit down with him. But John Cleese, I know that uh, thousands of people. Uh, two sold-out shows over the weekend at Centennial Concert Hall. Really enjoyed the evening with him. I have confirmed that the Python Collection arrives on Netflix in Canada and the UK, as well as other worldwide markets on April 15th. Nice. Uh, and it looks like Netflix in the US won't get access to the Python Collection until later this year. Aha! Take that, America. Yeah, because there are times where Netflix, it's different in every country, right? So sometimes Netflix in the United States will have something and then you go to look for it and you realize it's not there. Yeah. Maybe it's on Crave TV. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's on Amazon. Right. You never, it's hard to, <laughs> to, to keep things consistent because we read these American headlines and think, oh, I, that's on Netflix, so go check it out. It's not there. So denied. Uh, yeah. Have you ever heard of the professional organizers in Canada? It's an actual organization. The professional organizers of Canada. Yeah. Well, it says in Canada. Professional organizers in, in Canada. Canada. POC. Okay. I'd love to be a part of this group. Uh, as close as we're going to get today, we're going to talk about organization. Spring cleaning oh boy. begins in earnest today. And uh, many young people who are on spring break are going to be very disappointed to learn that their spring break plans include cleaning the basement, cleaning the garage, and, and just generally getting the house ready for spring. You know, so you mean the the, the ever-growing stack of papers that I have in my desk at home, mm-hmm. where I take all of them that are scattered across the desk <laughs> yes. and just kind of go, you know, and where they're... And them all and together? Just, <laughs> into one big pile? Yeah, that, that's that, not organizing. <sighs> all right. Facebook is under scrutiny around the world for allowing the personal data of millions to be exploited. Influential celebrities are deleting their accounts along with everyday people. Its founder, Mark Zuckerberg, is spending big bucks on an apology, but is it too little too late? Mm. Global National's Paul Johnson reports. I'm sorry. The latest apology from Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg appeared, ironically, in the very medium his business has helped decimate newspapers with full-page ads in major papers in the U.S. and U.K. But will an apology in writing do any good? I don't think Facebook has been fully forthcoming. On Meet the Press, U.S. Senator Mark Warner dropped an ominous hint that American lawmakers could rethink their hands-off approach on regulating social media companies. I think the whole industry has been reluctant to accept the fact that we're seeing the dark underbelly of social media, Mm -hmm. how it can be manipulated. But for the moment, politicians may be the least of their worries, as their user base remains under attack by the new delete Facebook movement. Celebrity deleters so far include Cher, Jim Carrey, even tech entrepreneur Elon Musk, pulled down the pages for his companies Tesla and SpaceX. In Canada, Victoria Mayor Lisa Helps said she's ditching the social network as well. Yeah, you do think about deactivating, definitely. Canadians we spoke with today were mixed, 
with many confident they could manage their accounts in ways that didn't worry them. Absolutely not. Okay, you enjoy it. I love it. People want to go on the internet and check out their friends, so why not build a website that offers that? One thing appears certain, though. Gone are the heady days when Facebook was the coolest new form of media and could do no wrong. Now a huge corporation with shareholder value to protect. How does Facebook convince users they come first when its paying customers see them as a product they've purchased access to? I think that really it's their core business. So I don't, I don't think that this apology is really genuine in the sense that they, they have any intention of stopping what they're doing. Paul Johnson, Global News, Vancouver. Where did we hear uh, last week if the application is free the product is you and your information <laughs> you know nothing is free and we're exchanging our information for these gadgets for these games uh, without much consideration for what's happening behind the scenes i think that's changing now and uh, maybe that's the benefit of this cambridge analytica story is the fact that a lot of us are getting a wake-up call maybe without having our personal information stolen, corrupted, or otherwise used against us. What about you? Are you thinking about quitting Facebook? I, I know you like uh, social media to a certain extent. I'm not I'm not thinking about quitting it, but I, part, I think partly because I barely use it anyway. Mm -hmm. When I tend to log on to social media, it's usually Instagram nine times out of ten. I'll pop onto Facebook occasionally, but... I find when I go to Facebook, I'm just sort of inundated by the same sort of there's ads or there's people posting pictures of their food or I don't know, just the, the, the typical. I just get bored when I log on to Facebook, to be quite honest. So I don't spend a whole lot of time there, but I do like to have it just in case I want to get in touch with somebody. And it's an easy way to do that. So I think it's a, a certainly a valuable tool for reaching out to people that you may have lost uh, connections with over the years. I went in and shut off all the apps on Facebook the moment I saw the story on Global about how to do that. You can go to globalnews.ca, search Facebook, and, and there's a little bit of a, a tutorial on globalnews.ca. Uh, but I, I genuinely think if it wasn't for what we do as a limit, a living in terms of keeping in touch with people, I, I would I would pull the plug on it altogether. By partnering to reimagine this corner, we've taken some of the biggest steps towards transforming our downtown in our lifetime. As the Richardson Building commences their improvements this spring, they'll be the first to remove barriers at the iconic intersection. This is the first step in a phased-in process that will better connect downtown from the Bell MTS Place to the Forks, to Shaw Park, to North Main, and through the Exchange District. I don't know if that was, applause was coming from your house, your kitchen, your bedroom, or from the newsroom. I guess we'll uh, take the temperature here. The first set of barricades at Portage and Main, as you just heard from Winnipeg Mayor Brian Bowman, will soon be coming down. The mayor told Global News on Friday that work to remove the barricades at the Richardson Building, that's on the northeast corner, will start in just a few weeks and will include upgrades to its plaza. We are going to see cranes uh, this year at Portage and Main for the first time uh, in, in decades. And so it's incredibly exciting growth that's happening there. 
But it will be a little while before pedestrians are able to cross at the iconic intersection. Most of the city dollars spent this summer will be on work in the underground to deal with asbestos abatement and leaks. Here's what some Winnipeggers think of the plan. It's pretty frustrating to have to go underground. And a lot of major cities, uh, you know, they, their main areas are open. It would get more people walking through this area. I think it's a good idea and I look forward to it happening. There are some roads that really need fixing elsewhere. So that's probably should be a bigger priority in my opinion. So today we're having coffee talking about the barricades at Portage and Maine coming down. Shanley Vidal's here, Kelly Moore, Jeff Braun behind the glass, Jerry, and of course Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling. So, team, what do we think about this? Uh, Kelly will, Moore? Where will the road hockey game break out at when the Jets go into the... And we know they're going on the playoffs now. <laughs> Should we maybe not set the barricades up for traffic for at least the spring? <laughs> well, I'm sure they're uh, they're hanging around. The barricades will be available, of course. Yeah. And yeah. you've got that natural sort of uh, hockey board set up. Yeah, no yeah, We're going to lose that. Well, Kelly, I don't think you've ever lived here, right? When Portage and Maine was uh, an intersection you could cross at, at grade level. No, it's always, yeah, you either had to go up a block to whatever, Notre Dame, I guess it would be, uh, or, or, you know, do the underground route. So... I don't think it's going to be as big a traffic snarl as it has made been made out to be. I really don't. I, I think the flow will still be able to be executed without people being run over, without drivers going absolutely ballistic. I, I think it's going to be okay, folks. Jeff yeah, Braun? I think so, too. Frankly, I'm sick of hearing about it. It's like, just do it already. And if it doesn't work, put the barricades back up. This isn't like... Rocket surgery. I mean, it'll either work or it won't. At least after talking about it for decades and decades, just you know, take a year or two and try it out. See what happens. Yeah. Who cares? And also, what does it add thirty seconds to your drive? Like, why, why is somebody's time set, spent sitting in their car the most important priority? Well, that's the question I ask because <laughs> we seem to be kowtowing to people yeah. who are passing through downtown versus people who live and right. work and, and play in the downtown. That's who we should be trying to appeal to. In, in my opinion, I like I say, I've been all over North America, and the closest thing to it, I think, are the elevated uh, skywalks that they have in Las Vegas. Yep. Right where you walk across uh, different uh, intersections to avoid the massive <laughs> amounts of people yeah. uh, crossing at grade level, Brett. Also, the longer time you get to spend in your car is just the more time you get to listen to 680 CJOP, which point. is good for everybody. That's a valid point. I, you know what? <laughs> Make your day better. Shameless, so shameless. Get out there with your uh, concrete Should, saw this move, afternoon, Move Brad. the barricades to block the lanes entirely <laughs> so you have to sit there stuck listening to the radio. <laughs> Shanley, what do you think? Uh, I'm, I personally am on the excited side. I'm looking forward to this. Like Kelly, I don't know a time when you could legally walk across Portage and Maine. You always had to walk down a few blocks or you had to go inside the uh, uh, Winnipeg Square and go underground and through these tunnels. And and it's just, it's just going to make things so much simpler. I know people are saying, oh, it's going to make things crazy. It's going to cause all this traffic congestion. But I think the thing about Winnipeggers, um, I love Winnipeg. I love the city, but we're afraid of change. No. I, I think so, Kelly. I, I, are I, you I, sure about that, Shanley? <laughs> You know, that's a pretty bold statement to make. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with this. Like, we're we're afraid of change. We're afraid of new things. And I think we're very hesitant. We always kind of uh, push back on things like that. But you know what? It's When it finally opens, I 
we're probably not going to see that big a difference. It's probably not going to be that bad. We're going to get used to it, and it's going to soon be just part of our daily lifestyle. Well, a lot of people are, you know, you can still go underground if you want, right? Sure. If you want to avoid the elements. Yeah. Jerry, from the outsider's perspective here. Uh, I think it's weird that it's not open. I really, when I came to town, for, uh, when I first moved here, I, I thought that it was strange that the main intersection in town, the one that, that, that everyone across Canada has heard about Portage and Maine, yet you can't cross it? I thought that was just weird. But uh, that being said, I think that opening up it is great. Let people do that. But I think they need to spruce up the underground as well at the same time. Mm -hmm. Mandatory. So that that people can do either or and feel safe doing either or. Yeah, because that underground is just, it's exactly the way it was when it opened in 1979. It's it's kind of a, uh, I don't like it. Yeah, is, is it, anybody... it was exciting back then. Yeah. I remember going to, for the opening. I was very excited as a kid. It was kind of a cool thing. We don't have a subway in Winnipeg. Oh, we get to grow underground. There was something neat about it. But uh, you make that me charm, sad sometimes, Greg. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Charms, char- I was one of the first people on Cheap Pegasus Trail too. Yeah, so the, you know, what, what can you say? I'm a Winnipeg geek. Uh, Has anybody just... ever done a cost analysis though? On uh, it was either you or Brett that just mentioned the the cross uh, cross. Uh, pedways that they have in Vegas to because the strip would just shut down if you had people walking across there. But how much would it cost to build one of those? Well, I guess four of those for uh, yeah. I, I don't know if anybody's interested in that. I think that's maybe part of the point. They want to get people on ground level. And I know when I drive through the, there now, and there's a group of more than four people. What are they up to? It, it kind of catches your attention. It's like. They must be from out of town because nobody walks around there. It's, it's I don't know, it's strange to see it devoid of human activity. Well, and here's another thing, too, and I'm trying to remember. The, the ones that they have in Las Vegas where you go up and over, are they escalators or yes. are they stairs? I think yes. they're escalators. escalators. And there yes. are elevators as well. Would an escalator work in our climate? It would no. be pretty tough, I think. Yeah, so that's probably, that's probably not something that would Trust work. Me. But I do like that idea. Yeah, I love that idea. Not all the escalators work in Vegas all the time. <laughs> yeah, <either. fair> <laughs> that's true, yeah. I mean, I love that idea. When you, because it's it provides a unique perspective yeah. for one. Just for it's just kind of neat. Mm-hmm. So I think that's fun. I would be curious about that particular option. And I know that uh, just recently, when I w- I was at uh, the King's Head a few weeks ago, and I had walked back to Main Street to catch a bus. And it wasn't coming for 10, 15 minutes. So I started to walk towards the downtown. And uh, I wanted to, ideally, I would have just kept going up Main Street to the, the main bus stop near Graham. But, of course, I had to hang a right and go up to, I guess it was Fort, Fort yeah. where I could then cross. And even just having to, it's not the end of the world. It was one block, but just symbolically it feels like. Yeah, it just seems, why? Why do I have to do this? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, I also agree. I don't think the traffic snarl will be that bad because there are intersections in Winnipeg that are busier. Regent and Lajemodier, for example, mm-hmm. at least uh, once upon a time was the busiest intersection in the city, and they have pedestrian access at on all four sides. I don't know the last time I saw anybody crossing there. True, exactly. <laughs> However, <laughs> but, uh, but it is it is accessible. Audrey was our first to text message in. She says, "I'm not in favor." It'll be pleasant to walk maybe four months of the year. Traffic will be adversely affected. And what will happen after the first serious car pedestrian incident? Dumb idea. And one that I don't think has strong support among Winnipeggers. No one should ever be allowed to cross a road because someone may one day be hit by a car. That's right, Brad. I mean, that's right, Jeff. (laughs) A lot of people, though, are weighing in. And and the the common thread is that the money should go towards... 
roads that need it. Well, <laughs> that would that would not necessarily be a bad idea That's either, true. because there are some potholes out there right now that are absolutely horrendous. Empress the, is more pothole than road at this point. Yes, it yeah. is. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, I'm just thinking. You know, maybe maybe just as a Winnipeg tradition or, or some kind of symbolism, maybe we should have geese. Be the first to cross at Portage and Maine. <laughs> They're the only ones I know that have the guts to go through Regent Lash. <laughs> that just might happen, Kelly. You never know. <laughs> I'm surprised there's not a mating pair that doesn't just take over the entire intersection uh, when the springtime comes around. Uh, it's not the idea of change that bugs Winnipeggers. Here's another text. It's the idea of my taxes always climbing, my back lane being paved, so many taxes going up $500 a year. Uh, for everything that Bowman always saying the city has no money for, transit is more needed for instru- uh, infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. My thought is when the city is flush with cash and everything is fixed up, open it then. Yeah, no, I, and how do you mount an argument towards that rationale? But I, the, the mayor is going to do this one way or the other, and, and I think the debate has been, is it a good idea or a bad idea, not whether it's affordable when other projects need the money. And, and so, you know, from that discussion point, I think it's a good idea. It's the you know? it's a magic $11 million for people, though. Yeah, you know? understood. Take, that, uh, the, take yeah. that $11 million and do this, this, and that with it. I, and I understand that. Uh, the money bugs me, too. Uh, because we should never have been in a situation where it should cost that much money to uh, fix up the underground because it's been it's been absolutely ignored for years and it but shouldn't many, cost that kind of, that much money to to rip down some concrete for but, God's sake. Yeah. yeah, how many other things or areas have been neglected and now it's come home to roost? Yeah. Kicking the can down the road. We like to do that here. Oh, my God. I'm sounding like a Winnipeg. You are. <laughs> welcome, <laughs> welcome, Kelly. It's great to have you. Don't want to <laughs> Let us know what you think. 204-780-6868. You can email brett at cjob.com or gmac at cjob.com. Thanks to Shannon Vidal, Kelly Moore, Jeff Braun, and Behind the Glass Jerry for weighing in, having coffee, talking about the barricades begin to come down this summer at the northeast corner in front of the Richardson building at Portage and Maine. Portage and Maine, 50 Yes, it's Paul McCartney and Wings. The Jets had some wings last night. Kelly Moore, it was a rough start. The first period, four shots on goal. Have you ever seen a team get four shots on goal in the first period and nearly get 50 for the game? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, they also had as many minor penalties as they had shots in that first period. And I, I think that played into it as much as anything in allowing the Nashville Predators to at least assert themselves early, taking that 2 nothing lead. But what I liked about the Winnipeg Jets 5-4 shootout win, and, and, you know, the final result everybody likes, but what I found was the most impressive is that with this team, yeah, you know, fans are frustrated. There's discontent in the rink when it's 2 nothing, But this team has proven all season long that they stay with it. And so in a tough, emotionally charged game like last night, for them to have the maturity and the leadership to stay with it when it was 2 nothing and when it was 3-1, those are hallmarks 
of a of a team that is absolutely legitimate. That was what stuck with me, uh, Greg and Brett, more than anything else. The hashtag Winnipeg Whiteout unveiled last yeah. night, moments after. Well, it was really within seconds. Uh, winter <laughs> is returning to Winnipeg. Maybe that's going to be another yeah. season, Whiteout season. We're going to have to add that to the list. The Jets become the fourth National Hockey League team to clinch a playoff berth. 102 points, five points behind Nashville. I think we can concede finally that first place. I mean, I think a week ago we knew that that we would at some point have to concede first place. A win last night, and we might have been able to hold on to the dream. A clean win, yes, as we yeah. would call it uh, in hockey win, vena- yeah. uh, vernacular, or an outright win. So uh, Jets in all likelihood going to finish in second place. If the season were to end tomorrow or today, we would play, or the Jets would play, rather, yeah. Minnesota-Winnipeg. Oh, and the Winnipeg we, the Winnipeg hey. we would play Minnesota. After McGarry described your grand entrance into Bell MTS place. They're walking in and doesn't even see it like boom. <laughs> he saw something on the screen. Yeah, yeah. Puck was dancing on the goal line. But I digress. Uh, the, yeah. the, every reason to believe that um, at least one victory in in line for the Jets, and I don't mean a series victory. I mean at least one right, yeah. win, one playoff game win uh, against Minnesota or whoever they may face. Well, it, it has to start with that for sure, and and that's why I've been asked by a number of out of uh, market uh, people who I talk to on a fairly regular basis. You know, what, how do you think the Jets are going to do? And I, well, step number one is to win that first game and and win it as quickly as possible because with each loss comes even more pressure. And it's already a, a stress and pressure-filled time of the year. So I think if they can get that in the series opener, be it against Minnesota or against Colorado, and and why wouldn't you think that with how well they have been able to play at home, that will be a big albatross off their neck. Then I think they can take off from there. Have and I'll put this to both of you guys. Has there been a situation where the Jets have opened a playoff series at home? Well, they've in only, the National Hockey League? Well, are you talking about both what, point, uh, 1.0 yeah, and 2.0? Yeah, either. Oh, yeah. I, I think uh, one, only twice, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, would have been in Calgary. Uh, and against St. Louis, the first right. year they yeah. made the playoffs. Other than that, I, I think they've always started always on, the road. on the road. Yeah, yeah. So. so home ice advantage has not been a usual thing for this franchise or the last incarnation of the, of the hockey team. And uh, without trying to sound like Captain Obvious here, but... Uh, how good was Kyle Connor last night? Uh, I don't know that I have seen a player for the 2.0 Jets play as dominant all over the rink as Connor did. I mean, he was just too fast for the Nashville Predators. And uh, so in their, in their planning, <laughs> they have to be thinking, we better slow down this kid. Uh, one other thought, you know, if it does get to round two and it's, and it's Winnipeg versus Nashville, I think Jet fans are going to have a, a, a lot of fun deciding. I, I mean, P.K. Subban already is in the lead, but uh, I'll tell you what, Matias Ekholm and uh, Ma, uh, Miko Salamaki could also be right up there for most hated predator. Yeah, well, I said <laughs> last night for every time the, the, the that P.K. Subban touched the puck, there were those that were booing P.K., and I just looked around and said, you know, you're going to get more tired of doing that than he is going to get tired of hearing it. Oh, he'll because love it. he thrives on that yeah. sort of thing. Uh, we were attempting to get in touch with Jill Officer. You managed to get in touch with her in the last 40 minutes or so, Kelly. What an outstanding performance. 14 wins in a row to capture a world championship. Jennifer Jones and her rink, and and now Jill Officer, uh, rides off into the sunset, a two-time world champion, and the 
accolades and the accomplishments of this rank and Jennifer Jones and Jill Officer together are essentially endless. Yeah, I, I don't know if you guys are going to have time to, to run that interview or not, but uh, uh, Jill certainly talked a, a lot about, uh, you know, blocking out this being her swan song, how incredible it was in North Bay. Also asked her about when she uh, was replaced by Shannon Burchard for one of the games. And she's also going to continue her career in curling, but in a slightly different position than what we've seen her. Now, she has a media background, so there you go. All right. She's going to be doing analysis this coming weekend, as a matter of fact. My goodness, that didn't yeah. take long to shift gears for Jill Officer. Uh, hey, when you're in demand... Strike while the iron's hot. Yeah, yeah, we know all about that, right, Kelly? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm still here, boys. <laughs> uh, thir- we got 30 seconds left here, Kelly. I, I, I'm kind of ambushing you with this, but I bet you know it because you're the, always the guy with all the stats. How many 11th seeds have ever made it to the Final Four in the NCAA basketball uh, tournament? None that I can remember. As a matter of fact, the 11 versus 9 matchup in the Elite Eight, I think, was a fir- uh, Sweet 16, rather, was a first ever. So, yeah, the final four, uh, at least there's semblance of order on the right side of the bracket with Kansas and Villanova. Yeah, one uh, and one and one side. Right, and, and then, then 11 and, and three. three on the other. And Michigan was a pretty good team. Yeah. So, you know, it's not a surprise that they were there. But Loyola, Chicago, it, you know what? It's fantastic. It's a great story for the NCAA, especially with uh, uh, the, you know, Sister Jean, the nicest nun you ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> one, two, three. The cue of Shanley Vidal, three things you may have missed over the weekend. Juno Awards edition. Hi, Shanley. Good morning, Rep. Good morning, Greg. Happy Monday. Happy Monday, SLV. And it's kind of like a Tuesday, right? Because we have Good Friday. We won't be here. Lots of people will have it off. Exactly. I know lots of people do have to work, so thanks for to those that will have to work Friday. We are not in that category this time. No, we're, we're, it's very exciting for us that, that I think that's why everyone is so perky this morning because knowing that we only have a four day work week, Jerry is laughing. Yeah, because probably Jerry will be here on Good Friday I'm morning, sorry, Jerry. right? I'll be here bright and early. Yeah. So everyone wake up with me. Yeah. Hey, Jerry's going to rake in that, uh, that holiday uh, extra pay, right? He gets that sweet, sweet time and a half. That's right. When, when I was a part timer, I used to love working holidays. So yeah, I got to make that bank. Well, we'll be we'll be thinking of you, Jerry, after we uh, roll out of bed at 11 a.m. Shanley <laughs> just punch shot right to the gut. I like sorry. it to the solar plexus. I used to like you. I'm I sorry, like plexus, solar plexus. <laughs> Good for you, Shanley. Look at that. Okay, so Juno's Juno Awards. The the biggest. <laughs> The biggest uh, thing out of the Juno Awards was Gord Downey was the Juno uh, the was Juno Awards Artist of the Year. His brothers Patrick and Mike were on hand to accept the award for the late singer who passed away in October from brain ca- uh, brain cancer. And Patrick Downey shared his disappointment that his brother could not be there to accept the award. It's Artist of the Year, but he was our man of a lifetime. I'm sorry that. He's not here. I'm really sorry he's not here to accept this award and feel all this love and appreciation from everyone. But I'd like to believe that we're all better artists and people because of him. And-
And, of course, Downey wrapped up a nationwide tour and created two new works in the year before his death, Secret Path and Introduce Yourself. Introduce Yourself picked up a Juno Award for Adult Alternative Album, and Downey also shared a songwriter cred- uh, songwriter award w- with Kevin Drew for the project. And this is really interesting because the brothers this past weekend said that Downey was actually working on other projects, but they didn't say when they might be released. Oh, well, I hadn't heard that until just now. That's yeah. fascinating. Fascinating. Apparently he had a, a list and he was going down the list and getting everything he wanted to do done. Not it's, surprising. It's incredible. Yeah, incredible. So the second big thing that happened at the Juno Awards was uh, the the Bare Naked Ladies had a special reunion with uh, former member Stephen Page, who left the band unceremoniously. Shall unceremoniously. we say? Unceremoniously, there was a lot of acrimony about ten years ago. It was a, a whole big blow up. He left the band. Meanwhile, the the remaining members of the Bare Naked Ladies continued on. Well, this past week with the Junos, so they were welcomed into the welcomed into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame by none other than Getty Lee from. Gosh, what a what an honor! That's pretty cool. Yeah, very very cool. And uh, the band's frontman Ed Robertson was super emotional at the moment. And here's what he had to say: To our fans, your passion for our music and our shows continues to astound us, and we thank you for this. Thanks to Steve for starting this journey with me, and to the guys for continuing it. Now, this might seem blasphemous. But I actually prefer Bare Naked Ladies post Stephen Page. Oh, my word. You didn't just say that. I'm sorry. It's not blasphemous. <laughs> you're, allowed to, you're allowed to like what you like. I mean, they did have some, some great music back in the day with the, with the album Gordon. That was an amazing album. But uh, I found the later stuff with Stephen Page. I couldn't connect to it. But um, the stuff that came out with Ed Robertson leading the band, just incredible and just very heartfelt and I found uh, a lot more relatable. I can't even name a a song post Stephen Page. Uh, you, uh, you, you run away. It's like, sure. Yeah. It's this, it's this wonderful song. Well, the bottom line on that is, as you mentioned, Brett, everybody's entitled to their opinion, and you have excellent taste in music, Shanalee, so I will uh, listen a little bit more uh, closely as I uh, continue to see where I I fit on the spectrum. Right now, I'm with Brett. Uh, Their music much better with Stephen Page. Michael Buble, we have someone in the building who who loves Michael Buble a little bit more than normal that should be classified maybe as a little bit stalkerish, but we'll, 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 we'll move on from that. I dare say she loves Michael Buble almost as much as she is uh, infatuated with the Royals. Mm. Yes. So, of course, that is our executive who, producer, uh, oh, Kim Lawson. Uh, I was going to say, who is this weirdo? <laughs> <laughs> and She's so, been outed now. So, for Kim, we have, uh, so not so much for you guys, but this one's for Kim. Okay. We have some Michael Buble news out of the Juno, and this one is fitting to be our third item. Because uh, here is the news that Michael Bublé had to say. Five years later, and you brought me, oops, you did it again. My wife and I are pregnant with our number three. So Michael Bublé, as host of the Junos, uh, told the audience that news in Vancouver. And it's funny because he said it was the second time his wife had become pregnant around the time he hosted Canada's biggest music uh, music event. So five years ago, when he led the Juno ceremony from Regina, right around the same time, 
His, he and his wife were expecting their first child. And of course, uh, it's, it's really, really happy news, especially because this comes a year and a half after their son was diagnosed with a form of cancer. Right. And it seems like, yeah, I understand he's doing a lot better right now, but uh, they had, he and his wife had put their careers on hold to, to make sure that they give all their son uh, as much attention as, as they could. And uh, he's four years old right now. Yeah, his name is Noah, and it's just adorable. And that story is uh, very difficult for it, any parent to imagine their mm-hmm. c- child going through cancer. And uh, uh, congratulations to the Bublés. And, and the thing about the Michael Bublé, though, you you just can't hate him. I find he's yeah. he's ter- he's terribly likable. He's very likable. He is. Yeah. He's yeah. charming, and he's, he's got very, that croony voice. You know, and he's, it, and you know, he's Canadian. That you know, helps. and he and he's the kind of guy you could go and have a have a beer with if you want, you oh, know? Oh, I thought you were going to say have a baby with for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up the thought. She's speechless. <laughs> and on that note, three things with Shanelie Vidal. Heard every day after the 8 o'clock news on 680 CJOB. I just haven't met you yet. Liberals' fortunes appear to be slipping. We hinted at this last week in an exclusive Ipsos poll. The majority of Canadians polled say it's time to replace the Trudeau government. We are joined live on 680 CGOB by Sean Simpson of Ipsos Canada. Good morning, Sean. Good morning. Like I said, we were getting some hints of this from a variety of uh, sources last week. This latest poll really emphasizes the point that the Liberals are in a little bit of trouble right now. Yeah, they've had a rather precipitous drop in the last couple of months. Uh, Their approval rating now uh, down into 44% uh, who approve, meaning that the majority, 56%, disapprove. And the approval rating is down by seven points just over the last three months. So one of the things that we wanted to ask you before we we moved on here, uh, how many people were were polled? Uh, How did you speak to in this survey? Yeah, we pulled uh, just over 1,000 Canadians age 18 plus uh, late last week, and uh, the results are balanced to reflect demographics and are accurate to within three, uh, plus or minus 3.5 percentage points. Is that a good sample, Sean, in terms of a national survey? Yeah, it's a fairly uh, fairly standard uh, sample for a national survey. Usually 1,000 is the minimum. Sometimes maybe during an election period you'll go up to 2,000, but it really doesn't impact the overall credibility interval that much. Uh, so let's translate uh, the approval rating and the disapproval rating into actual voting. Who would get the votes and what percentage would they get? Sure. Well, the uh, the Conservatives, under relatively uh, less well-known uh, leader Andrew Scheer, they would receive 38% of the vote. That's unchanged since our last poll of early March. The Liberals, uh, of course, the incumbent Liberals under the Trudeau government, would receive 31% of the vote. That's down two points. So it's a seven-point lead uh, for the Tories. And the NDP under Jagmeet Singh would receive 23%. That's actually up two points. Point since our last poll, despite some of the controversy that's been surrounding him the last uh, couple of weeks over, you know, where his loyalties lie. Now, as far as this poll is is concerned, should we be surprised? Because it seems to me that this is just kind of how it goes every political cycle, where the, the support wavers between the conservatives, and then the conservatives go into power, and then eventually people get mad at the conservatives, and the support goes back to the liberals, and and around and round we go. 
Mm-hmm. Well, I would say that it's still a bit early uh, to be seeing this. Uh, I mean, the, the Tories, have all, sorry, the Liberals rather, have only been governing, governing for about two and a half years. And in fact, their, their approval rating uh, for the first 18 months was in the 60s, and now it's in the 40s. So they've squandered an awful lot of capital uh, over the last year or so to be going all the way from the high 50s and low 60s to the mid 40s. Now, some people would say it feels like a decade, but I digress from that. Uh, Where are the Liberals losing their support? Well, and this is this is really what should be most concerning for the liberals. Uh, we know they've been targeting women, right? That's a key demographic for them. Our prime minister calls himself a feminist. The cabinet is 50 percent women. And so it's rather shocking to learn that the conservatives are ahead among women by five points. So if you're if you're losing the the key demographic that you've been targeting over the last two and a half years, something's not working well for you. And even among millennials, another target group for the liberals, they're still in the lead, but only by two points over the NDP, where their lead in the past has been double digits. So really, their core constituencies are starting to turn on them. Was there a breakdown by province? Yes, well, in the uh, the prairies, we we lump together Saskatchewan and Manitoba simply because of of sample sizes. We need to have have that for the uh, the credibility of the poll. But as you might have suspected, in Saskatchewan, Manitoba, uh, a majority of the vote, actually fifty two percent, would go for the Conservatives. Uh, the Liberals at twenty eight percent, and the NDP not terribly popular at uh, at thirteen percent. So it would be virtually uh, a Tory sweep. Through most of the prairies. Uh, Sean Simpson of Ipsos Canada joining us now to dig deeper into the headline that the Trudeau government is in in trouble as it pertains to this latest survey of Canadians. And when you realize that that women uh, are turning away from the Liberal government, how does that translate? Uh, not only we we've seen the cascading numbers, but how does that translate in terms of of seats? And and is this enough for the conservative to, to conservatives to form a Majority government, Sean? Well, I wouldn't put them in majority uh, territory just yet. Uh, usually that's closer to 40% nationally. Um, and uh, the two key places that we need to look at to determine whether it be a majority or minority are Ontario and Quebec. Now, in Ontario, the, con- the, uh, the Conservatives have a massive lead. They have uh, 42% of the vote uh, ahead of uh, both the NDP at 27 and the Liberals at 26. I mean, clearly the Ontario pre years um, disapproval is is not helping the liberal brand in the province so the liberals are in big trouble there the other place we need to look of course is Quebec and in Quebec the federal liberals have a 15 uh, point lead uh, over over the other parties so they would still uh, do very well there counteracting some of their gains in Ontario so they would be close on the cusp but not not quite a firm majority I'd say So when the Liberals look at this result, do you think that there will be any sort of reaction? 
Well, I think, yeah, I think this needs to be some soul searching, right? So uh, what this tells me is that um, people started to realize to a certain extent that the emperor has no clothes, right? There's, there's, you know, when, when, when Canadians elected Trudeau, they wanted a change in, in style, right? And a lot of people were saying, well, he's more style than substance. And that's okay as long as the style holds up. Now, what happened is over the last couple of months, particularly with the India trip, there's been a, a a realization that, oh, now the style is actually starting to bug us. And so the liberals need to get serious on policy and they need to be talking about the issues that matter most to Canadians, like jobs, the economy, healthcare, taxes, debt, etc. Um, because they've been rather distracted, you know, dealing with gender pronouns and, and other things that are important to fewer people. Now, you mentioned the fact that the Conservatives have, and the NDP, have relatively obscure leadership. Unless you are a political junkie, you don't know a ton about these individuals. Is that something that the the Conservatives need to take note of in terms of parlaying this latest uh, survey into some actual results uh, when it counts? Yeah, it, you know, it's a delicate balance, right? Because you, you obviously want to build your your leader's uh, public presence, but at the same time, uh, there's always the, the the belief that you need to be bold and come out with all of these, these crazy ideas. And in fact, what the poll suggests is that you don't need to do that because the Liberals are, are at present on course to defeating themselves. So, you know, uh, when an election draws near, and of course we're still quite some time away next year, um, they'll want to get sheer more in the spotlight and sing for that matter, but in a in a very mainstream way, not not in a way that um, it begins to alienate some of those uh, disenfranchised liberals who would otherwise be looking for the Tories. Sean Simpson with Ipsos Canada, thank you for joining us this morning. It's been my pleasure. John Simpson, Imposos Canada, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Federal Liberals appear to be slipping. Exclusive Ipsos poll says the majority of Canadians say it's time to replace the Trudeau government. Now, our next segment is a follow-up to the series that we did a couple of weeks ago, Shattering Glass, a four-day series which focused on women in the workplace. And just as that series was wrapping up, I'm scrolling through my Instagram, Greg, and I see one of my friends is chairing this year's Woman Entrepreneur of the Year Awards coming up in October, and I thought, well, that that should actually be part of the series. So I reached out to her, and we were able to connect and last, and uh, here we are with Christy Houston. Her name, she joins us live in studio, President and Director of Operations at Kingswood Golf and Country Club in LaSalle, which is, you know, kind of my home away from home from April to October, because golf. Uh, so, Christy, welcome, and congratulations on being chosen to chair this event. Good for you. Thank you. Good morning. So, how did this come about? How did you become the chair of um, this? Uh, it's, uh, I guess, started with a conversation last fall uh, with our president, Christine Thiessen, and uh, one thing led to another, and I uh, found myself chairing the, the WEA event this year, which is really exciting. It's a great honor, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. When, when is oh when is the event and 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 tell us what happens there? Sure. So the gala is um, scheduled for Thursday, October the eighteenth at the Metropolitan um, downtown Winnipeg, and this will be its twenty sixth year. Twenty six years of this mm-hmm. event. Okay, uh, women business owners of Manitoba. The website is uh, wbom.ca, right? That's right. So is that where you go if you want to nominate somebody? Right. Our nominations are now open, and they are open until May first. Um, 
you can go right to our WBOM.ca website and find out how to nominate someone. It takes about five minutes. It's very easy. And then after that, the um, nominees, they're contacted, and then there's a submission for, uh, process. So you took over Kingswood last year, uh, completely revamped the clubhouse, and we can talk about that in a moment. But what were you doing before you took over Kingswood? I was in healthcare actually for about twenty years. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So, what made you want to <laughs> to switch and 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 run and take over uh, business? Well, I um, I guess the second job that I'd had for years was uh, in fundraising, charity work, volunteering, and with Kingswood, we do a number of special events and take take tournaments. For example, ninety percent of our tournaments are attached to a charity. Mm-hmm. And Kingswood gets to donate to to all of them. So I love that. And um, I love promoting other people and and helping different causes. And this is something that uh, being a woman, obviously, I'm very passionate about. I think that's uh, something that gets lost in Manitoba sometimes, the tremendous work that businesses, whether they're owned by men or women, are incredibly charitable, and the golf tournaments that happen every single summer. I know that I have some friends that it's like, I've got two or three in a week, but it's an incredible way to give back to the community. Right. You're outside having fun. You're away from your workplace and and, uh, having a good day outside and then raising money for for a good cause. Are you going to have a tournament for the the women business owners of Manitoba? (laughs) We are actually on um, June the 7th at Kingswood. Okay. So, mm-hmm. How do you get involved in that? Do you have to be a woman? That might sound like a silly question, no, but if someone no, wants to, no, of course not. But uh, again, that will be on our wbom.ca website. All that information is, uh, is will be out in the next couple of weeks. How does like is it a lengthy process to nominate somebody for these awards? It's not. So there's just um, I believe one form online, and it will take less than five minutes. So if you know of a woman that. Uh, or women that you think would be great for this uh, uh, nomination, then then it only takes a few minutes. There's like six boxes you need to tick, and then uh, you yeah. can't even go over uh, 250 words in your description of this person. So that's the it's most nice, yeah, words simple. you're allowed to use to describe <laughs> someone you feel is worthy. As we ha- have highlighted women in business uh, through our Shattering Glass series, uh, what's what do, what do you find and what is the biggest complaint or concern that, that you find from female op- entrepreneurs and women that are trying to get into vi- business, the biggest barrier uh, that that they're that women are needing to overcome. Wow, that's a heck of a question. Um, biggest barrier, I think, just uh, uh, the equality piece. Just believing in yourself and having that self that that confidence. Um, my background is certainly not golf, and getting into the the golf world, uh, seemingly or historically, always a, a sort of a men's. Um, profession and hobby, if you will. So I think just, yeah, that self-confidence, it's great to be involved with an organization like the Women Business Owners of Manitoba because you have that peer network, that support, you're with people that are like-minded and um, have that drive, that passion to succeed in, in whatever field they choose to get into. Yeah, well, and, and you when you came into Kingswood, you you wasted no time. You completely renovated the the clubhouse there. You and you've I've noticed a, a focus on bringing new events to the course. So is that all from you wanting to do something different with 
the way that things had been run prior to that? I think so. Um, I live in LaSalle, so I'm with, with my kids there. I might as well, might as well work year-round is sort of how I look at it. And um, so we did the renovations w- with the mindset of opening up to different events, weddings, um, private functions, more charities and, and, and uh, fundraisers in the off-season. Kingswood historically was always open just during the golf season, closed in the winter. Mm-hmm. And so I think, uh, uh, and it was around for 30 years. It just needed a, a refresh and sort of, uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> a very different, nice. A different, yeah, a different feel. Well, and I'm going to come visit soon because you've got that virtual golf there. I need to get warmed up. That's and so right. I'm so yeah. I'm itchy. Anytime. So, okay. So, hey, Christy Houston, congratulations on being chosen to chair this event. It's the Woman Entrepreneur of the Year Awards 2018. The gala is happening Thursday, October 18th. Nominations close May 1st, and you can do so at wbom.ca. If you're interested in being an event sponsor, you can email. Can I get, provide your email address Absolutely, here? Absolutely, yes. Christy that's spelled C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E at kingswoodgolf.ca. Christy, congratulations once again. Thanks for coming in to tell us about oh, this. Thank you for having me. We want to talk about spring decluttering, spring cleaning, but the, our guest, I think, is going to tell us that spring cleaning is not something we should refer to it as. Clarityoverclutter.ca is the website. Our guest is Susan McCauley, who is a professional organizer, and she joins us now on 680 CJOB. Susan, welcome. Good morning. I can only say one thing, Susan. Where have you been all my life? Uh, in Winnipeg. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I'm, I, I, you know, you were, we were talking off the air about how uh, this can affect you mentally and the whole idea that holding on to memories and hoarding and the, and the, and the physical and the emotional side of actually getting rid of stuff can affect you negatively on those two fronts. And I confess, I am one of those people. My grandfather grew, was born in 1920, grew up in the 30s, and he held on to anything that he believed had value. And he always said to me, I hope you don't inherit this sickness. Well, my wife would tell you I've inherited the sickness, and perhaps you can help uh, cure for some of us this whole idea of of needing to hold on to physical things to prove that you were there to a certain extent. Okay. So the question being is, how can you declutter your life without losing those memories? Correct. Or losing your patience? Um, One of the things is we hang on to things... And what ends up happening is, is it ends up causing a lot of frustration and stress, and it can actually paralyze people. If it's not something that's going to help you move forward in your life, um, revisit that whole concept. If you have an item that you really are at a point where you want to get rid of it, uh, taking a photo of it, or actually if you already have photos of that item in in the photo, it's a nice way to remember the item, but also the event. Um, taking the time to work through figuring out what you want your home to be like is really, really important before you even start the process of thinking of one or two items in your home. Now, you you don't just 
pull out a couple of pink pretty boxes and, and tell people to put your files in here and this and here. You have a specialty, uh, particularly when it comes to helping people with hoarding issues, don't you? Correct. Uh, I work with a whole spectrum of, of clients. I work with people who are just maybe needing their paperwork because we live in a paperless society, of course. Oh, yes. And uh, uh-huh. we all My have... My office proves that. We all have piles of, of papers that we have to deal with over time. Um, some of those papers need to be archived we need to hang on to them. We need to deal with them. If you don't have a good filing system set up, that's where the paper piling starts. If you don't have a f- way of how to deal with it as you work through it, when it comes in, how do you uh, handle it? Is it something you have to deal with or is it something you archive or is it something you can shred and get rid of? Um, so that's just one area. I work with families as well who have uh, a lot of activities going on in their home, a lot of things that are happening, and they need to start instituting some systems for when the kids come home that they take responsibility and they put their stuff, uh, unload their backpacks, put things away and put the notes where they need to go for the parents to sign. Uh, also work with uh, a number of people who are on their own, living on their own of all ages. Uh, we'd work with a lot with the senior population, and I don't mean just 70 and older. I mean the older population, even into their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, life gets busy, and nobody really wants to work on organizing. That's not a great, fun thing to do. So we work on some strategies as to how to make it more uh, enjoyable, how to make it, I won't say fun, but worthwhile taking the time to do it. So as far as having a good filing system goes, um, I have two closets in my bedroom. Uh, one of them is where I keep all my clothes and the other one. So I guess what you're, from what I gather, I, sh- what I, sh- I shouldn't, when I get mail, just come home and gently open that second closet and throw it in and shut the door before all the other mail comes falling out? Having like, a, un- like, a, like an avalanche? Well, that's a good, good suggestion. Uh, one thing that I have found with people who have piles of envelopes that they've either A, opened and put back in the envelope, or B, have not opened is because, again, they don't have a system in place how to deal with the paper. If your filing cabinet that you've had, maybe you had a system in place years ago for how to handle your papers and keep them in storage so that you can easily access them, or put them into, um, that system has not been looked at in years. It's like maintaining your car. You need to change the oil in your car to have it running properly. It's the same thing with your filing system. You need to maintain it. You need to purge through, edit out the old stuff that's not needed anymore so you have room for the new stuff. I think my Grammy used to say, uh, place for everything, everything in its place. Correct. And so... um, she would famously have systems for everything at the back door. She had a pegboard, and I think my grandpa had created it back in the day. So the basketball, there was a specific spot for each ball, each ball glove, each bat, everything hung at the back door. And I was so envious of this idea of, of having a place for everything. My grandpa had his tools, you know, uh, there, was a, there was a mark, you know, you knew exactly. The hammer had to go exactly here, and that hammer went there, and that hammer went somewhere. Somewhere else. So let me ask you a question. When you saw that or when you accessed anything in that environment, what did it make you feel like? Did it feel like you were 
I guess in a way in control, you weren't stressed, you were able to access what you wanted, plus you knew very clearly where you were going to get it and take it and retrieve it back to? Yeah, it was uh, it was terrific to know that we were going to go to a Grammy and Grandpa's and uh, you knew exactly where the football or the soccer ball from England uh, was in the house. You, you never had to look for it. So let me ask you a question. If you were to have a bowl of cereal today, do you know where the cereal bowls are and the spoons are in your kitchen? 100%. Do they go back in those places? 100%. That's what you want to do with the rest of your house. We're getting organized. Clarity over clutter. I love that title. I love the name of the business. Professional organizer Susan McCauley is in studio with us. The website clarityoverclutter.ca. And Susan, let's start with, uh, we've kind of had a broad conversation here, but let's get into specifics. How can someone get organized so that their, their lives are simpler and full of less stuff? Well, it, uh, well, the first thing you need to do is you have to start with your mindset. Do you really want to make change? Because it's a bit of a, it's a commitment where you know you're going to have to make some changes in your life and in your routines, habits, and behaviors. You want to reflect and figure out what you want for your home, your office, your vehicle. Some people's vehicles need a little organizing. The garage, is it just a big two-car storage area, or the shed, or your actual workspace where you work. What activities do you want to do in that space? Um, Be as clear as possible in figuring out your vision of what you want it to look like. If you say, I just want it less cluttered, that's a generic statement. It doesn't give you any direction. It's like if you were to go on a holiday, you need to know where you're going in order to plan on what you're going to pack to take. Um, So what you want to do is you want it... it, um, Once you figure out your vision, then you want to take time to work on the reorganizing process. And organizing does take time, energy, and it is work, but the rewards are so worth it to be able to find what you want, when you want it, and to be able to put things away with ease. To walk into your space and be more relaxed, less stressed, and feel the benefits of being organized. How do you feel when you walk into a hotel? You're going on a holiday. What's the first thing you feel when you walk into that space? You go, oh, this feels really crowded. There's so many things that are driving me crazy. No, you walk in, you almost want to just put your bags down and you take a big sigh going, oh, this feels really good. And that's what you can have in your home. That's a great point. Some, I, you know, there are times where I, I, I tend to let that stuff get away from me. And sometimes just looking at uh, any like a particular corner that might you know my, like sometimes my desk I like it gets piled up and just looking at it stresses me out because I know that it's I know that eventually I'm going to do it and it's going to take me a while to clean it up or it's just a distraction it's just like I can hear it sort of sort of mocking me from the corner ha ha Brett look at how messy this is and that that's exactly what happens what happens is is if visually your peripheral vision will start to close in and you start getting tunnel vision when you have a number of things physically that are around you that are distracting. It's like on your rearview mirror of your car. If you have something that's waving back and forth on your mirror that's hanging and dangling, whatever, what happens is is your brain says, I don't want to see this. I'm trying to focus on driving. So you start getting tunnel vision. You lose some of that peripheral vision. That's what happens with your physical space. It also happens with your mental space too. When you start getting too many things going on, your brain starts shutting down and just focusing on something to escape, to get away from all of that. Well, you you made an outstanding point with regard to the cutlery, right? How many of us don't have a cutlery organizer in the cutlery drawer? 
bet you it's 95% of people will have that cutlery organizer that shows you exactly where the forks, the knives, and the spoons go. You're just really trying to expand that out and, and put and implement those systems in different parts of your home. You know that these coats go here from September until March, and from March until August, they're down in another closet, or you, you make provisions that way. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I was cooking yesterday. And uh, we are fortunate enough, we just renovated our kitchen and I knew exactly where the colander I needed at the time for what I was doing and I knew exactly where it was going to be. I'd just like to expand that out to the rest of the household. And I, I'm very thankful that you use that cutlery organizer because I think that's a great visual for people. And I try and use a lot of analogies for people so that they can understand in very simple aha moments where they can go, I can take that and add it to my world. Susan McCauley, unfortunately, we are out of time. But thank you so much for coming to visit us. Please come back and visit us again. You can visit her online, clarityoverclutter.ca. Susan McCauley is a professional organizer. It is spring break, which means... What am I supposed to do with my kids for a week, for a lot of us? And uh, Brett, uh, not everyone can get to Florida. Not everyone can get to Mexico. We've got lots of things we can do here in Manitoba. Yeah, I mean, it's a good, t- great time for a family vacation. So we thought we would give you some ideas of some of the many great places you might want to think about visiting right here in Manitoba. Aaron McMahon joins us live on 680 CJOB from Travel Manitoba. Aaron, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Doing really well. Uh, Brett called it a vacation. A lot of people call it a staycation. I know uh, when I've had a week off with my kids, we will pick things in and around the city of Winnipeg where we can get to in an hour. And with Manitoba's variety of geography and and, and uh, different things to look at and do, it genuinely feels like a trip to Morden could be a trip to Alberta if you want it to be. Exactly. Yeah, there's just so much to do in Manitoba as well. Yeah. So why don't you give us an idea of uh, some of the things that uh, parents, even though it's already Monday of spring break and maybe they've only got three and a half or four days to worry about until Good Friday. What are some things that that you would throw out as options for parents that have kids home on this spring break? Well, there's actually a lot going on around the province. Um, I'm going to start you guys up. The, the Royal Manitoba Winter Fair is going on in Brandon. It's, uh, it's actually Manitoba's number one equestrian exhibit. They got the Backyardians on, on Wednesday. Uh, Fred Penner's performing on Thursday. They got the Royal Farmyard and Petting Zoo and live music all throughout the whole week. It goes on from March 26th to March 31st. Um, you can check that Provincial Exhibition website for, uh, for their schedule. Um, lots of different things going on around the museums as well around uh, around Manitoba. Okamak Marsh has uh, the Wild Wetland Week going on, so you can learn about the wild and wonderful creatures of the marsh. Um, there's a bunch of stuff going on at the zoo with the uh, weekend keeper talks going on this weekend. Um, spring break at the Canadian Museum for Human and Ru- Human Rights as well. Um, you can bring uh, your family over there, and you can explore a bunch of different languages in Canada uh, in English and as well as French. Um, if you're looking for some of the, the French as well, um, the Manitoba Electrical Museum has got some free um, events going on. Um, you could do a bunch of different things. Um, you could soar into spring break with the Royal Aviation uh, Museum of Western Canada. Um, a lot going on. Like you said, uh, there's one well in Morden. Um, you can just go to the, uh, the, the Discovery Centre there, the Fossil Discovery Centre in Morden. You can check out Bruce, the largest most soar in Manitoba. There's just so much going on. Yeah, plus, too, like a lot of these places will offer uh, sort of 
packages where you can go for not just the day and come back, but they'll offer, you know, affordable accommodations if you want to make it uh, a two or th- even a three-day visit. For As Greg pointed out, we've only got three days really until Good Friday. Exactly, exactly. I mean, especially if you want to really prolong this, they really see a lot of the, the areas. I mean, you can go to southwestern Manitoba or even check out the White Chill area or go to the Enter Lake. There's just, we have so many different areas in Manitoba. It's so diverse. That literally anywhere that you go in Manitoba, you'll have a different experience. I mean, you have, like, like I said, like the Parkland region, southwestern on, uh, Manitoba. I mean, yeah, the eastern, like, it's just, there's so much to do and so much to see. Aaron, when we talk about tourism in Manitoba, I think uh, we don't realize what a gigantic proportion of tourism in Manitoba is actually people from Manitoba <laughs> discovering the parts of Manitoba that they don't live in. Exactly. I mean, and that's the big thing. Even when I started with this job, I didn't even realize how much there was to see in Manitoba. I and mean, like I said, I mean, in southwestern uh, Manitoba, you have these lovely rolling hills. If you want to do small day hikes with the kids, they love to run about. Um, some places you go, they'll have uh, like horse, uh, horse wagon rides and, and that sort of thing. And then you know, through the Parkland region, you have our national park, Riding Mountain National Park. They always have events and, and programming, um, not to mention with all the provincial parks and all the interpretive centers that they have. There's, there's so much to, to do and to visit and see. In the Interlake area, you got Gimli and Hecla and whatnot. Those are really unique areas, uh, unique areas for Manitoba. And then, of course, the White Shell is, is really great. That area all along the eastern side near Lac Bonnie and all that jazz. It, it's all very, very beautiful. Yeah, I'm just looking at the website right now, travelmanitoba.com, if you want more information. And uh, you mentioned Hecla. I'm just thinking now, just even the drive out to Hecla is one of uh, the great joys, I think, of, of taking any road trip, because I can't, can't remember the, 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 the name of the, 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 I guess, the body of water. I'm thinking Gull Harbor. Is that something to do with going out towards Hecla, Greg? Yeah, I think Gull Harbor and Hecla Island itself, right? You take the causeway off of uh, Highway Number 9, just north of Riverton, and yeah. then you'll you'll go through. Is it, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember. that. What's the name of the town? Maybe that should be our trivia question because we've got some stuff to give away. The name of the town on Hecla Island. Okay. Uh, that uh, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. And there are just so many of those little exciting things to see. Uh, Pinawa, they've got a suspension bridge there that's worth the drive alone to go out to Pinawa. You can explore the Pinawa Dam, all sorts of neat things, Aaron. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. And like the Sur Swinging Bridge, um, arguably one of the largest swinging bridges in, in Canada as well. And yeah, just that drive up number nine highway, like you were saying, I mean, you can hit St. Andrews and Selkirk. I mean, some of those, like right around Lower Fort Gary, that's some of the first settlements. And you just keep going up highway at number nine, and you got Winnipeg Beach with their, their lovely piers. Um, and if you just keep going, you pass Gimli and Heckley up to Gull Harbor, like you said. Um, it's, all, it's all really beautiful up there as well. Um, yeah, there's just, it's just so much to do. Aaron, you said that when you took the job at Travel Manitoba, you didn't realize how much stuff there was to do. So since you have taken the job, how, how many trips have you taken within the borders of Manitoba? Oh, multiple trips, multiple trips. We went to a, we did a bunch of day hikes. It seems to be mine and my partner's uh, thing to do. I mean, Spruce Sands and Devil's Punch Bowl. I mean, it was great. There was kids running around. Sorry, what was that? Everywhere. The Devil's Punch Bowl? That's correct. Devil's Punch Bowl. It's just it's a beautiful hike. It probably takes less than three hours to do. And right, at the, the, right in the middle of the hike itself, you just had this beautiful view and the nice little uh, kind of lake, the Devil's Punch Bowl, so to speak. And you can kind of walk right down into it as well. I mean, it's great. And they also have a, the Spirit Sands there where kids just love. You can play all around in the sand dunes and whatnot. And then uh, in the summer, they also have the programming with the, the horse rides and what as well. 
And yeah, up to Hecla, up to the resort, if you stay a night or two, there's just so much to do around there. Within just even a half-hour drive, you can check out the kind of the Arburg uh, Museum or Toulon or even the Gimli Grider exhibit they have up there as well. Um, and then the new Iceland Heritage Museum, they're, they're always great, those Icelanders, especially with the Icelandic Festa in the summer and whatnot. Aaron, what's the Gimli Glider for those that don't know? The Gimli Glider is actually a really interesting uh, story. So the, the plane itself, they kind of had a crash landing uh, in the middle of the, the, the racetrack that they have in Gimli. And so it's kind of this really neat where the pilot had to really have an emergency landing. And there's people in the grandstands at the time that this happened. So it was almost like people were at the racetrack watching these horses. The next thing you know, this, this Gimli, this, uh, well, now that they call it the Gimli Glider, this plane just crashes down in the middle and kind of the landing strip in as the racetrack. So a really, really neat story. If you check it out, you read a lot more information at the Gimli Glider exhibit in Gimli there. All right. Aaron McMahon from Travel Manitoba. Have we missed anything? Do you have any final suggestions for spring break before we let you go? Yeah, just like I said, I mean, there's a lot to do, a lot, of, especially when it comes to a Good Friday, like you were saying. Um, a lot of Easter egg hunts going on. Fort White Alive has an Easter egg hunt. Um, in Melita, they have their community Easter egg hunt, which is southwestern Manitoba, which is right around those, those beautiful rolling hills that we have. Um, again, a lot of evening things going on tonight. The Centennial Concert Hall is video games live. Um, which is great because they're always doing amazing things at the concert hall. You know, a lot of arts and culture in Manitoba are really, really celebrated for that. And, of course, the Jets, they just made the playoffs. they got a game going on tomorrow. And then the Moose have a nice homestand going on this week. So we have games at 7 o'clock pretty much every day this week. Jeez, I thought I knew what was going on. Uh, Aaron's got nothing on me. Thanks, Aaron. <laughs> Appreciate this, man. <laughs> no, you're very welcome, guys. I mean, there's, it's almost too much to speak about in a couple of minutes. It's, it's ridiculous. If you check out TravelManitoba.com, and if you check out all the events and whatnot, you can type in the certain dates if you have certain times with the kids and whatnot that you have in mind. If you have, if you have no clue what to do, and there will be things to pop up and things to do for sure. All right. Aaron McNabb from Travel Manitoba, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you as well, guys. Have yourselves a great day. All right. Aaron McMahon, Travel Manitoba, joining us this morning on 680 CJOB. The town is Hecla on Hecla Island. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of NASA. I was thinking that too. Just before Riverton on your way up. That was the town, and I was thinking in the back of my head that's the name of the town on Hecla, but uh, no, no, foiled by uh, lack of geographic knowledge one more time. (laughs) That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Shannon Lee Vidal, and thank you for listening to CJOB. (laughs) 